Welcome to Lucia Gabriela TV. Today is another amazing, incredible day to come to understand a lot more, a little deeper, and to start clarifying a little bit of what actually sexual healing is. Uh, today we have an amazing, incredible tantra practitioner, and uh, she has been referred by one of our amazing speakers too, Heather. His name is Matthias Rose, and uh, we're really, really excited to... Uh, clarify more of what actually sexual healing is and what is not and the code of ethic. So if you are watching today live, stay tuned until the end of these uh, live stream and also share with you your insight, your questions. We're going to be taking questions like in, in some times of the interview. Uh, we have a great questions and many of the questions are going to be like, they're going to sound like the kind of like same questions, but we actually doing it from different angles and uh, because sometimes we get lost in like the perspective of it and uh so so just pay attention to the questions to the answers and remember that we come from a place of of love and you know feeling you know uh in integrity and having respect and honor to all the aspect of sexual healing all the different modalities that can be applied and all the different levels. So uh, we're really, really excited uh, about today. So we're going to introduce Matthias into our, our setting. Here you go. Hi. <laughs> you here. Hi. So uh, tell us a little bit more about you and what do you do and how you work with people. Sure. Thank you, Lucia. Thank you for having me on your TV show. Um, so I'm a Tantra practitioner. Um, I teach Tantra as a spiritual system, and I teach Tantra as a set of tools for intimacy. I teach couples and singles um, sort of the uses of and the tools of Tantra to deepen their own intimacy and their own pleasure. Uh, and I use the tools of Tantra to um, help people come into the fullest possibilities of their heart and their body, as well as to release any trauma or other impediments that stand in the way of their greatest pleasure. Mm-hmm. Great. So you're ready for all these amazing questions that everybody really want and desire and have been asking because, man, we collected this question from so many forums and so many people asking and, and so many inquires. So today is about sexual healing. So what is sexual healing? Right. So I've been thinking about this, um, you know, listen to watch some of your other TV shows, seen some of the other ways people have answered this. So I have the benefit of, of <laughs> all of their wisdom that they've offered. I want to note that I, I consider this to be two questions. One is, what are the modalities um, that describe themselves, that bring themselves to the world as sexual healing? And then the, the inner question of what is sexual healing itself? Um, so the modality, the common modalities that people are going to run into that really bring sexual healing to our world right now are tantric healing and, um, it's somewhat more clinical counterpart sexological body work, also sacred intimacy, and it's somewhat more clinical counterpart sexual surrogacy. So I think those four modalities really, um, are the main hands-on, experiential, somatic approaches to sexual healing right now. 
That said, um, you can find people in any of those modalities who are not really doing sexual healing. And you can find people who are doing sex work, who are doing escort work, who are doing um, phone sex work, who are bringing sexual healing to people. So the inner question of what is sexual healing? Sexual healing is when, in the context of sexual energy and and sexual awareness and maybe sexual arousal, um, a person is met with pure flow of love. And this does not make me a sexual healer or, or anybody else. We're all our own sexual healer. And I think this is important because I'm even a little bit uneasy with the term sexual healing sometimes. You know, healing has... Uh, in Western society, we think of doctors as being healers. We think of the medical profession. We think of psychiatry and psychology. And I ultimately think that what all of us in these different modalities and in some of the other forms of sex work are doing when we are facilitating healing is that we're really creating a space within which a person's own self-healing can happen. So I don't think of myself necessarily as a healer but more as a guide or a teacher. You know, the Tantra word for this these days is sometimes Dhaka or Dakini. But, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, I just see that, that I am uh, holding space for a person's healing and guiding them in the most beneficial ways to discover that. Mm. Oh, thank you for sharing that. So what is not sexual healing? Well, so that gets, in some ways, that's a little bit easier. Um, if you're looking at the modalities, then um, things that are not most forms of sex work are not intended to be sexual healing. They're not trying to be sexual healing, although loving people often bring that to their work. Um, really, it's when, and this is where, um, you know, within the modalities that are striving to be sexual healing, this is where it's not sexual healing. It's not sexual healing when it's about the experience of the practitioner. If it's for the sense of validation, oh, I'm a great healer, it's not healing. If it's about my pleasure or, 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 you know, my, my satisfaction, it's not, um, it's not healing. The healing only happens when unconditional, um, love in pure, perfect conscious presence is brought to a person. So anything other than pure, perfect conscious presence filled with love is not going to be sexual healing. Or, or, or any form of healing, ultimately. Awesome. So we're going to be having a couple questions first, and then we're going to be going through everyone that's asking some questions already. So we're so excited. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Melanie, for sharing your insight. Uh, we're going to be reading those questions after two more questions that we have, okay? So stay with us. So how do you know sexual healing is for you? So this is an interesting one because... Um, Ultimately, I feel like almost everybody in our society could benefit from some work with sexual healing. You know, especially if you, if you think of it beyond the term healing, which implies that there's some kind of a problem. You know, all of us have growth and discovery. Um, and a lot of times, you know, fumbling around with a lover, even a pretty good lover, is not the best way or certainly not the fastest way to make some of those discoveries. Working with somebody who brings this as, um, you know, a study, as a profession, as a vocation, as a devotion, um, can open up things. So in a sense, 
this is for everyone. Um, but in particular, some reasons that people might go to um, one of these practitioners is if there's sexual dysfunction, you know, anorgasmia, vulvodynia, um, vaginismus, uh, erectile dysfunction, um, premature ejaculation, retarded ejaculation. Those sort of common things are something where, you know, yes, um, drugs can help with some of these things, but honestly, the tools and, and technologies of Western medicine are crude and, and, and rather distressing. So those are great reasons to go see a practitioner. Painful sex, um, uh, uh, people who are disconnected from their body, I find this very common, where um, they, can f they can't really feel what they're feeling. That's something we're working with a somatic practitioner of some sort or another is going to be far more beneficial than going to, say, a sex therapist who could coach you through some, some exercises and practices, but it's really the hands-on stuff that's going to integrate and connect those, those dots. People who want to integrate sexuality with their emotional intimacy, this is oftentimes um, disconnected and distorted in our culture. People who want to discover the connection between sexuality and spirituality might come to at least some, certainly the, the tantric um, uh, uh, family of practitioners. And people who want to discover, simply discover more about the capabilities of their own body and their sexual experience could certainly benefit. And then sort of the big one that comes up a lot in these conversations is sexual trauma. Yeah. Um, people who have some kind of sexual trauma or emotional relationship trauma where there's been sort of extreme, you know, manipulation, betrayal, etc., can really benefit from the, co the combination of um, energetic work that happens with um, certainly a tantric family of practitioner and, and the touch, the somatic touch, the massage and, and the, the release that happens when the body feels itself held and touched with the presence of love. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. You, you mentioned great. You went deeper here. That's awesome. So how do you know it is not for you? Well, so what I'd say, the, the main reasons that somebody comes into me and I say, I don't think you should be here. One is if somebody's telling them they should be here. You know, if somebody else has, has, is telling you, oh, you've got to go to, to, to the, you know, you've got to go to Matthias. He, he'll fix you, right? And you are uncomfortable with the idea and you don't really want to, but, you know, your best friend or your partner has told you that you've got to go get fixed and you reluctantly go in. I'm going to send you home because you're, this is not the right time for mm -hmm. this work for you. Um, similarly, people who have, um, a lot of, uh, um, cognitive shame or, or uh, obstacle to this kind of work who are sort of unable to separate it from their preconceptions, maybe of prostitution, mm -hmm. this may just not be the right modality, you know, or at least not at this time. You may need, you may need to go work with a sex therapist or a therapist or uh, maybe, um, you know, another, a different kind of trauma professional. EMDR is a good somatic approach to trauma. And, you know, maybe those things would be more appropriate. Great. So for those who don't know what MDR is, what does that stand for? Oh, EMDR, it's, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I even remember the acronym. It's eye motion something or other. It's, it's basically a combination of tapping and, and sort of eye position that has sort of a mysterious effect on, on releasing traumas and very effective with PTSD um, uh, 
patients. Post-traumatic stress disorder, yes. Something like also like uh, the work. Um, what I love that you're bringing up, you know, is the aspect of the powerful work of somatic work. This like opening up the body and helping the individual to heal in a very integrated way. Uh, it's like we we know that just therapy talk doesn't just uh, is not the only you know approach that we should take. You know, also just energy approach is not the only way, but when we include the body, it's really powerful to include all of that. So we have some, uh, Melanie has said, uh, full healers are in every industry, which that's what we do in this series, because we are here to clarify what actually we're doing and we're not doing, <laughs> right? Um, Todd, uh, you have a question that it, is it, is it wrong to want something not modality. I don't understand the question myself, but if um, Matthias uh, understand it, he will be able to answer that. Is well, it wrong let, let to me want something hypothesize not this one. If he's saying, you know, is it wrong to want to go to a prostitute or go to an escort? Is it wrong to to want to go to a phone go to a phone sex worker? You know, I don't think so. I have friends in all of those professions who do beautiful, beautiful work. I don't think you're necessarily going to get the same experience. You certainly can't rely or expect on having a healing experience unless, you know, there's a great word of mouth chain that's directed you to somebody. Um, but if you're called to, to visit a sex worker for any reason, um, uh, I would say then listen to that call. You know, there are um, risks associated with any of these modalities and there's risks associated with, with sex work. Um, personally, I think that if somebody is really looking for um, an actual healing experience, they're going to be probably best served by going to somebody in an established healing modality. But, um, you know, I have no judgments, particularly if it's just, you know, here's a, here's a great reason to go to an escort. If you're single, maybe you're, um, you know, there's some impediment to relationship and you just need some nurturing sexual touch. I think personally, I think that is a fantastic reason to go to an escort, you know, male or female. Right? I, I, I think that's a, a great reason. I think that it should be decriminalized in, in this world um, and honored as um, a beautiful profession. And, you know, people should be protected from abuse in, in, in all the levels of that profession. So that's my rant on that. I don't, we're a little off topic, maybe. No, but, but I, I love and I really appreciate you recognizing the power of sex work. I personally respect it. I honor it. I literally uh, honor the women or men that do this type of work because they should be honored. And when they come from the free will, right? That's the totally different story. And um and all, like you mentioned, like there are some people that need it. Like sometimes I have clients that come to me and they're looking for that. And I'm like, well, I cannot give it to you. But it's, it's for me, it's like, you know, why don't you just try, <laughs> you know? And they have the fears and they have all, all of this that come up. Because sometimes you see like the beautiful, beautiful, loving men that they love their wife. But for some reason, some of them, their wife has... Uh, have disabilities they have disabilities and they're not there sexually and these men are so devoted so devoted that sometimes like it breaks my heart and you know I have to keep myself as a professional but definitely I would say that if you know 
uh, sex work will be decriminalized and like these men will feel open to explore that. It will be so healing for them. But at the same time, you know, we invite them to have open communication with their partners, right? Like to have really great communication with their partners about what actually they need and the desires and, and work it out. I feel like it would be a great idea to work it out, but that's on a topic for another day, but it's part of the sexual healing experience that we express really? here. So, Sylvie, thank you, Sylvie, for watching. She's actually saying that EMDR is eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. So, that's what it stands for. Yep. Thank you, Sylvie. <laughs> I love you. So, this is my favorite question. <laughs> uh, are there levels or stages of sexual healing? So, I have two answers for this one. The first answer is no. Healing is healing. And I get very skeptical of programs of healing that describe levels or stages. Um, a lot of times this sounds to me more like a marketing plan than a healing plan. Um, my other answer, though, is yes, because um, very often what happens is somebody comes in for one reason, and that's the first layer of an onion. We, we peel that back. We, we, we discover what the source of that is and and there's another layer underneath, and maybe another layer under that. So um, not in any sort of rigorous, structured way. I don't think there are levels and stages, but um, there's definitely a process. Yeah. And for many people, especially people who have um, a lot of early trauma, that trauma has created a, a, an energetic dynamic in their life that invites more trauma. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes working through those layers of trauma um, really can, can be... <laughs> quite an undertaking. Um, but even in a simple, uh, a simple scenario, there is definitely a, an arc to my work where a first session is really sort of a get-to-know-you session. It's a get-to-know-your-energy, get-to-know, you know, discover whether this modality, this process, excuse me, is right for me. Um, and so a lot of times not a lot of, you know, real substantive work is done in a first session and that's that's sort of one stage, and then there's and then there's the the getting getting real. Now let's get to a lot of times people come in and you know the, I, I ask them the question, have you had any sexual trauma? No, no, no. Um, and I, I just I just want to I just can't I just don't feel like I can have the orgasm that my friends have, whatever. You know, and then along about session two or session three, there's like, well, I was raped by my father when I was seven. Is that important? Yes, that's important. So some of these things, you know, sometimes once people realize that I'm safe, that this is a safe place for them to open up the, the stuff that's really going on. And then, of course, they knew what it was when they came in. They just were unable to speak it at that stage. So there's that sort of that second stage of sort of getting real. Um, and then after that, you know, we release that. We do the work of, of processing and releasing and, you know, whatever needs to happen for whatever is actually there. And that may be it. And then sometimes, like I say, you get you get to the end of that process and you realize, oh, here's a whole another layer. Here's yeah. here's here's what that layer reveals. So I do think there are levels and stages, but I wouldn't I wouldn't actually trust anyone who said, okay, your first three sessions are this, and your second three sessions are that, and then you graduate to stage two. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for keeping it so real and so practical. I love it. Uh, yes, indeed. Like we don't know, we have these these layers of like peeling of the onion that is here and like we're just releasing all that. So definitely. But I love that you pointed out that each 
is is an awareness and a discernment to have when they market it that way, which is is interesting. Which is a great great point because uh, the session, from what I think I'm hearing from you, is that it's so unique and individualized that the individual that you know it goes with the time how you actually create the sessions and the power of the facilitator is like holding space so i really really love and appreciate that wait let me just move my camera here a little more okay so now let's go to the is genital work a part of sexual healing if yes at what stage or you know <laughs> layer <laughs> of the process uh should be done at the beginning or advanced stages sure so my answer is yes, genital work is a part of sexual healing, but it's not a necessary part. It's possible, and I have people who've done all of their work without any touch. It's just been energy and coaching. Um, again, this depends a lot on what, what people are coming in with and you know, what they're dealing with. Um, Sometimes there might be touch, you know, massage or, or some holding or some cradling or some cuddling or something like that, something non-sexual touch. And that's sort of the, the inflection point at which they really are released from their, their issues. But um, uh, I think that, you know, the vast majority of people who are in one of these modalities are going to include genital touch, genital work as an important and integral part uh, of, of this, it's you know, it's it's one of the things that sep separates it from, you know, sex therapy or coaching, which also has its role, but but you know, we're a different role. Mm -hmm. Now, where it falls in the in the process of working with somebody varies very very highly from person to person, and possibly from practitioner to practitioner as well, and and location may may put a, a role into it as well. For example. Where I am here in Seattle, I find that most people, I, I'm, I work primarily with women, and most women who, who come to me have already done a lot of work. They have spent, you know, a decade in therapy. They've gone to see a sex therapist. They've, they've done, you know, Ayurvedic healing and naturopath treatments, and they come to me because that stuff has only gotten them up to a certain point. Mm -hmm. So a lot of those people come in ready or, or nearly ready to begin with, you know, genital touch, genital work. Yeah. Be not in the first session, but, but sometimes even in the first session. Um, uh, so the, the real art of this is ascertaining where in a person's process, where in a person's self-discovery, uh, where in a person's self-healing are they, and what do they need in order to, to be safe with um, any kind of intimate touch. Um, because I think for anybody, but, but possibly more particularly for women, um, uh, bringing intimate touch uh, to this you know, sacred part of the body that may be holding some, some very real trauma, even if they don't call it trauma coming in, you know, sexual dysfunction um, uh, it often has roots in trauma, you know, known or unknown. Um, so proceeding with an extraordinary amount of caution um, and ascertaining where in a person's work they are, but you know again just so so a, you know a place that's you know maybe less overall enlightened than you know a major West Coast city might be different. Um, but I just find for whatever reason 
you know, people who come to me come in knowing what I do. There's no illusions or questions about what it is that I do. They're coming in with the expectation that, uh, that there is going to be intimate touch. That's what that's what I'm here for, as opposed to working with somebody else. So oftentimes, you know, we get we get to it pretty quickly. Um, but I've certainly had situations where you know that was that would have been wildly inappropriate, and it may be you know a number, a great number of sessions before there's any kind of intimate touch. I, I have. You know, one notable person I work who had extreme, extreme, like crazy extreme trauma. And, um, it was, uh, almost six months of work before there was any kind of, you know, yeah. touch. So it, it just varies very, very highly. Yeah. And then one of the, the amazing things that I'm finding with all these, um, amazing, um, practitioners in this field of sexual healing is, uh, the experience, the more experience that they have, the more the sharing, like Matthias is sharing, it really is a process and a journey of discernment for, from, from the client and from that practitioner to see where they are, to even include that into their therapy, into their session. So, so really pay attention when you are out there looking for help and support in this realm, in this field. Uh, that's what we do in this, to educate and to share. Uh, you know, to to become aware, discernment, it really is the key word with all these theories. So really, really excited. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, yeah, I love how practical you are. Great. <laughs> so it's having sex with a client considered sexual healing. You know, we're talking about a sacred prostitute, a lot of people talk about. And if yeah, should be offered at the beginning of the journey or more advanced in, into the journey. Yeah, so this is obviously a pretty hot-button topic right now. Um, and one thing that is really important to note is that some modalities um, would consider that to be um, wildly unethical, that that would be completely out of bounds, um, and that, that it would not be considered sexual healing at all. Um, tantric healing in particular, as it's currently sort of... Um, uh, commonly understood in, in our culture, um, has very clear um, uh, offered boundaries. This depend, varies a little bit from school to school, mm-hmm. but, um, uh, but most schools teach it this way. Touch is one-directional. The practitioner is bringing loving touch, conscious, present, loving touch, to the person who's sought them out. That touch is one-directional, the pleasure is one-directional, and there is no genital-to-genital contact. There's no oral-to-genital contact. There's no fluid exchange of any sort. This is keeping everybody safe. This is an important container and structure for um, sexual healing to occur. Um, and from my perspective, um, from a healing perspective, this gets the job done. You know, tantric healing is a complete and coherent um, set of tools for helping a person release trauma, overcome um, whatever's between them and their best experience. Um, so as a modality, uh, tantric healing is, uh, you know, a- again, the word tantra is an ancient word. It refers to a vast spiritual tradition. A lot of the stuff that we're even talking about when we talk about tantric healing is a tiny sliver of what tantra actually is, so you can get into all kinds of debates about this, but 
when we talk about tantric healing or um, sacred spot massage or lingam massage or yoni massage, we are typically talking about um, uh, a container that is very focused on the safety of the client because anything outside those boundaries um, carries a lot more risk. Even within those boundaries, there's a lot of risk. So going outside those boundaries, if it's not necessary, and my theory is that it's never necessary for healing purposes, um, is a, a really big, a, a big unnecessary risk. And one of the risks is this is where the potential um, shadow of the practitioner can emerge. If I am, you know, bringing my lingam into the picture for sexual healing purposes, if I'm receiving pleasure, um, how do I stay perfectly clear that whatever this is, this is purely for the benefit of the client? Because that is what would be absolutely necessary for that to happen. And again, it's not necessary for a healing purpose. Yeah. So that is my take on it from a modality perspective. But there's another side of it too. There's a one of the modalities I mentioned in the beginning is what I call, um, what we, we call in this area, sacred intimacy, the sacred intimate, which is probably similar to your idea of a sacred prostitute. And this is powerful, important, beautiful, deep work. This is sort of the, the corollary of the sexual, sexual surrogacy. Sexual surrogacy occurs in something of a more clinical structure where there's an overseeing um, sex therapist or medical doctor and the practitioner is, is sort of under direction. Um, sacred intimacy, the sacred intimate is holding both of the, holding both of those spaces at the same time. And, uh, and I do that work also. Um, so for me, uh, keeping these two very separate is the first important thing. Making sure that somebody who's coming to me understands what the boundaries of the container are, what the boundaries of the modality are, um, so they can relax and be safe in those boundaries. Um, and if a person is coming to me with a healing intention, then the modality that I use is going to be the tantric healing modality. But there are cases where um, uh, experiencing a fuller experience and a fuller um, uh, opportunity, and I tend to look at those as being educational experiences. Mm -hmm. um, so what if this happens where, where I've, and this is not a big part of my work. You know, this is a very small percentage of people who come to me with these kinds of needs or, or a situation where this is important. But the sacred intimate work is really powerful when, for example, a woman who's 50 years old, and has never had sex, has decided that she's going to bring herself um, to that part of her life possibility. She's been immersed in um, a career, and she's sort of written herself off at an early age as asexual, and she's woken up in her 40s and discovered that maybe she's not asexual, but she's terrified. Um, there's no particular healing that needs to happen in this, in this individual case, but she's terrified of presenting herself as completely ignorant at an age where nobody's completely ignorant. If you're 16, that's fine. If you're 18, that's fine. But when you're 50, there's a lot of shame around never having had any of this experience. Yeah. So in that, again, there's still boundaries. They're very clearly defined session by session. There's still a container. Um, the modality has its structure as well. But in that case, 
the person being able, having bi-directional touch, the person learning how to touch, learning how to give pleasure, learning what some of these other experiences are like, that can be really powerful. So it can be a sort of an educational um, role in a very hands-on way that a person can't really experience any other way. Now, a lot of people will say, well, your first experiences with a lover, you know, are going to be somewhat awkward and somewhat fumbling, and that's just the way it is to be human. Um, you know, and maybe that's true, and maybe that's the way it should be, but my take on it is, you know, that's definitely true when we're young and we're all exploring together, we're all floundering around together, and we're discovering how wonderful it all is. But later in life, fast-tracking ourselves to catch up with the rest of, of everyone in the world can have a real value. Um, in that case, it's still not something that I would do at the beginning. If somebody came in, hey, I want to have sex, I'd be like, that is a lovely desire. Here's how, it, here's how my work works. You know, first we learn what touch is. First, we learn how to touch consciously, you know, and then we, we build layer upon layer, measuring safety the whole way, because yeah. the big fear here is any kind of entanglement or attachment where somebody's falling in love with their practitioner, mm -hmm. and once you're getting some of these, you know, body chemistry things going, that becomes a, um, a real possibility. Um, so it's it's really important that the, the, the boundaries in the container become even more important in this modality, which doesn't bring, you know, its own inherent, oh, this is what a session has to look like kind of boundaries. Now we have to negotiate everything. And we have to be very, very clear and careful with everything. Yes, I love I love what you mentioned and bringing to the, the table right now because on the table, not in the table, or underneath the table. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make you laugh. Congratulations on doing so well on your your English test. I saw that on Facebook. Yeah, thank you. My reading for of it. I still have to do writing, so I'm still working on it. So thank you for bringing this up because it's so important to be aware that the steel container, uh, the steel uh, boundaries. You know, there are boundaries here. Um, uh, there is a, a, a level of sacredness and understanding and also what I love is that you point out the aspect of the attachment, you know. Um, I can imagine even in my own work with different modalities I have, even as a massage therapist or even doing coaching or even, you know, different kind of like uh, things that I can do, I can still feel some of the, some some people, they have attachment, right? And it's like the, the the one more and the one more and the one more, you know, you give them like one little finger and they want the whole arm after like <laughs> a couple hours. And he's like, woo! So I can imagine the level of, of, of feeling safe, like within yourself as a practitioner to be able to offer this work because it's, it's, it's really, you have to be really center. Uh, as we know, like we human beings, we chemical beings and all these oxytocin, serotonin, and uh, dopamine, and all these beautiful, you know, chemicals that can drug us in our experience itself. And as you mentioned, the aspect of the ego of the practitioner can come into, if the practitioner is not aligned, is not holding that container, this whole cocktail of drugs within ourselves, it can make the, the, the whole thing messy. So thank you for clarifying it, clarifying it because... That's where there's a lot of confusion in here. There's a lot of messiness in these um, 
Ah, so the question... Go ahead. And we see what happens, you know, with that messiness. There's a lot of abuse. You know, a lot of people who, you know, I hope are uh, ultimately very, you know, well-intentioned in their highest self have, have made poor judgments or violated the, the boundaries of their modality in ways that just create an incredible amount of confusion, adding trauma on top of trauma instead of releasing them. So, again, the risks for not doing this right yeah. are very high. Thank you. Thank you. So, when we're talking about genital work, um, should orgasm be part of it, of the experience, or expect it? <laughs> um, well, I would not say expected, no. Um, really, one of the essences of any of this work, and I know that I'm going to agree with some of your prior um, uh, interviewees as well, is letting go of all expectations, letting go of all outcomes, because that outcome-oriented, goal-oriented sexuality is inherently antithetical to all of the um, experiences that people are wanting to get out of this. If people want to integrate with their body, Chasing an orgasm is not going to help. If people want to integrate with their emotional body or connect intimacy and emotional, you know, chasing an orgasm is not going to, is not going to help. Having an orgasm, chasing an orgasm is not going to help. So, um, you know, one of the things that I tell everybody is that, you know, orgasm is not the point. The point of coming to see me is, is, is not I want to have an orgasm. Um, and I know Heather said this as well. But what about if somebody comes in and their and their you know presenting condition is anorgasmia and that's actually what they want? They want to have an orgasm. Great, you know. Yes, in that case, it's still the case that in a session, orgasm is not the point. The point is to slow down and discover the full possibilities of our body. Mm, yes. uh, a very very common thing that that I see in women who come to see me is um, women who can have their orgasm on their own, but can't have it with a partner. And sort of what happens there um, is they've developed a self-pleasuring technique that's very, very specific and very efficient, and nobody is going to get that right. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so first of all, their expectation, oh, I just need a better lover, you know, no, <laughs> you know, nobody is going to get your secret little move exactly right. <laughs> Only you, that's your, that's your secret, you know, secret joy. And you should keep that a secret. But what, by, by thinking that's the only thing your body can, the only way your body can experience pleasure or experience an orgasm, you're denying yourself a whole world of pleasure. Mm. In fact, I don't even really like the word orgasm. Because once we move beyond that sort of one thing that we've sort of trained ourselves to expect is an orgasm, we start to discover a whole three-dimensional tapestry where there's all kinds of waves of pleasure that we might or might not call orgasms. And when two people can play in those waves together, that's when spiritual things start to happen. Mm, such an orgasmic experience. Like having yeah. this orgasmic experience when you go to just outside of your house, feeling the breeze of the weather, like the, you know, the sun getting to your skin and just flowing into it and just having that experience of like like that sensation in your whole body feels like tingling and like oh amazing you know it's yeah. it's it's giving us all permission to feel that alive you know yeah. so beautiful thank you 
So can sexual healing not involve genital work, sexual erotic massage, or copulation? For those who don't know what copulation is, copulation is having sex. <laughs> so yes, absolutely. Sexual healing does can can involve sessions where none of that happens. You know, some some people come to me. I also do Reiki and energy work. And some people come to me with, you know, with sexual dysfunctions and they're looking for a no-touch, energy-only experience. And yes, that can absolutely happen. Great. And I would still consider that, you know, sexual healing. And I would still consider that self-healing. We're just creating the space for a person's own body to release what it needs to release. So yes, absolutely. Yes. And, and also what I'm hearing from, uh, from what is happening in the past year and, um, with everything that we see in society right now, a lot of like, uh, Reiki practitioners and, uh, they, they coming up and they re coming out and actually saying like, I do kind of feel like I'm doing sexual healing with my Reiki because I'm helping these individuals with the, you know, the energy and the Kundalini and all that stuff. So, so yeah, so it's, it's, you know, when they totally open, I feel like, into that energy, we can actually feel um, healing. So let's go into the one question that is actually the reason of the serious. <laughs> and the reason why we bring amazing people like Matthias and we brought Heather and other people and Amrita. Um, so what are the code of ethic sexual healers should have with clients, even for those who offer sexual work as private. And I know Matthias has been sharing a whole bunch of this, but guys, let's get clear and more direct on this. Yeah, well, so, I mean, that's that's actually, in some ways, I think that's too big of a question. We could do a whole, you know, a whole show just on that question. Um, I'm currently working on developing a code of ethics. There's, there's not, right now, there's not a universal code of ethics that everybody ascribes to. It just doesn't exist. Um, a couple of modalities, the, the Sexological Bodywork School, they have a code of ethics, um, which is a pretty good one. It's got a couple of gaps, and it's also somewhat particular to their style. Um, IPSA, which is the Organization for Surrogacy Work, they have a code of ethics for their practitioners, which, again, it's, it's a really good guideline for, for any sex work. But there's a few things that are very specific to that, um, the structure of that, that kind of work. So there is no existing code of ethics. Um, so uh, I and a few other people are working on sort of developing one that um, uh, that we could offer. Now, part of the tricky thing about this is that different schools, you know, teach people with different boundaries. Boundaries can be different in different parts of the world. I, I found that, um, for example, here in the United States, it's, uh, you know, a, a practitioner always keeps their clothes on or at least their genitals covered. That's almost never the case in Europe. In Europe, tantric healing is almost always done with both pra practitioners nude, even if there's not going to be any genital-genital contact. Um, they think it would be crazy to, to keep your clothes on. You're keeping a barrier between our energy bodies. And we think it's crazy to take your pants off if you don't need to take your pants off. So what would be a code of ethics that would really work for all of this? I think ultimately the real, the most important, the single most important thing um, Behind that, that runs beneath any possible code of ethics is that the welfare of the client has to be the number one priority. Do no harm has to be the number one priority. And because where problems occur is when boundaries or, or areas of consent are violated. 
there needs to be a, a, a guideline for how to have this conversation around what the boundaries are. And ultimately, I don't particularly care what the boundaries are. And different modalities can say their, their boundaries are, are different from each other. That's, that's fine. But regardless of the modality, it's crucial for the student or the client or whatever you want to call that person to have an opportunity to be extremely explicit about what they want and don't want and um, for them to understand what the boundaries of the modality or, or the practitioner are so they can have a very clear idea of what to expect. That way, if there's a violation of that, accidental or otherwise, um, there's no ambiguity. I fucked up the other day, and I, I, I crossed somebody's boundaries. Uh, a woman came into me, and she didn't want any touch on her feet. She came in on session number one. She didn't want any touch on her feet. She came in on session two, and I failed to re-clarify um, that boundary. And I went to sort of do my usual thing and, and just give her a little foot massage. And she's like, wait, wait, wait. And I'm like, oh, shit. You know, I just crossed your boundary. So that's a serious thing. Now, that's not going to be a sexual trauma for her. She was just worried. She had a, a little bump on her foot, and, you know, she wanted to make sure it got medically checked out before she had any, sex, any, any massage on that. But that's a, that's a boundary crossing. It's really clear that it's a boundary crossing because we had had a conversation about it. So, you know, I had the opportunity to immediately say yes, to take responsibility for that. Oh, I'm so sorry that happened. You know, that is completely my fault. Do we need to stop this session? Well, no, she's like, it was fine. Just, <laughs> you know, so it wasn't a problem for her, but it's certainly a problem for me um, because that's something that should never happen. But, of course, we're human. Things do happen. And the only way that you can then have a really healthy, you know, response is when we're super clear on, you know, what's in and what's out. And then, at any point, uh, uh, the person who's receiving this work has the opportunity to add more boundaries, can say no to everything. And that's where it's very important in the, the process of the work to ensure that the person actually has their own power of, of saying no. Mm. So I do, a, I do some tests around that along the early parts of the first couple of sessions, to, to, to see if a person's able to, to, to say no, to say, ah, ah, no. So inside of a session, we never loosen the boundaries. It's like, oh, yeah, I know I didn't want my feet touched, but actually go for it. I think, I think it's going to be all right. But I'd be like, great, thank you for that desire. We can talk about that next time. Mm. Uh, uh, but they, uh, oh, I forgot to tell you, I really don't like it if somebody touches the small back. Great. So that's the sort of the principle I think is behind it. But there's a lot of other things too, you know, you know, situations around, well, what happens if I fall in love with my client or my practitioner? You know, is it appropriate to date my client? No, it's not appropriate to date your client. But there might be a way to enter your professional relationship, have a cooling down period, and then if everyone still feels excited about this. And I don't want to stand in the way of true love if, if, if it miraculously happens. And I've seen some cases where that has happened, and it's been beautiful. So, you know, there's just areas where a code of ethics provides guidelines for how to keep everyone safe. And in particular, how to protect um, practitioners from their shadow and clients from their practitioners in a way that ensures everyone's healthy. So I think code of ethics is really important, but sort of doing a bullet point numbering would take me all day.
Mm. I'm just breathing all that in. Because I feel that beside of all the amazing uh, insight that you share, also you share your vulnerability as a practitioner and sharing with all of us that it's okay to be vulnerable to say, hey, I screwed up. <laughs> I did not check in with my client boundaries. And this is so precious to hear in our society, that level of responsibility and accountability and vulnerability to say, yes, you know, I have to check in with myself. So I really, really, really honor you and appreciate you. And now I know why Heather told me, hey, you got to check out Matthias and, and he's the guy. And I really, really love it. So I appreciate you so much because this is healing. Like, oh, you know, for women saying like, yeah, that's not a big deal. It's just okay. Don't get into session. And, and but you, for you to actually ask for it, it's kind of like create this safety, like create more safety into the container. And really, really, really love that. So thank you so much. <sighs> I'm still breathing. <laughs> so do you feel clients who are looking for sexual healing from sexual trauma enroll into a process journey of purging before experiencing sexual touch from a qualified practitioner? So this kind of echoes something I said earlier. This is going to depend a lot on the person um, and what sort of work they've done before coming to a practitioner. Um, ultimately, I would say yes. From the perspective of somebody who needs sexual healing, and I've done, I've, I've gone through my own personal process of sexual healing. Um, yes, that is exactly what happens. Where that happens may may vary, you know, case to case. I did, you know, years of therapy before I even heard that, that you know, hands-on sexual healing was an option. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did a lot of uh, journey and a lot of preparation before I even knew what I was preparing for. You know, I did a lot of purging, you know, before I knew even exactly what that meant. So different people come in, you know, to a practitioner in a different place. And for some people, that may be the very beginning of their journey. For many people, it's somewhere along the journey. Yeah, thank you. So, how can we tell who is a qualified practitioner? Uh, well, unfortunately, um, there's no good way. <laughs> there's no single way. There's no directory of people who are guaranteed to be qualified. No certification from any school is a guarantee that they're a qualified practitioner. Um, and there are people who have never gone to any school who are qualified practitioners. So, um, you know, I think that having had some direct um, intentional education is a good thing, and I would advise anyone who wants to go into this field to start there. Um, it's not a guarantee of qualification. Um, what I would say to what I say to this when I, I'm really talking to to potential clients, you know, consider the professional presentation of the practitioner. Do they have a um, a, a, a informative, thorough website that Mm -hmm. tells what they do or something equivalent? Do they have a Facebook page that's very, very clear on on what they do? Do they give you enough information about who they are, why they're doing it, what they do for you to feel confident that this this is a person's vocation and not a person's, you know, sexy little hobby? Um, 
Word of mouth is great. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can get a recommendation from somebody who has been to this practitioner, that helps. Again, it's no guarantee. Some people have a great experience with somebody, and then the next person comes along and they have a terrible one. So it's there is no guarantee. Um, uh, but I think the most important thing is uh, everyone should every every person thinking about this work should avail themselves of a consultation with a practitioner. Don't go in for the first time asking for a session. Um, almost every practitioner will do some form of consultation. Maybe it's yeah. a phone call. I, I generally prefer, you know, a, an in-person visit, but whatever works. Um, so you can get all your questions answered so that you can, um, you know, as a client, as a student, you can get an intuitive sense of whether this person is the right person for you. Yeah. And that might not have it, that might not have anything even to do with qualifications. You know, I consider myself a qualified practitioner, but not everybody who comes to me, I'm not going to be the right practitioner. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes if somebody comes to me and at the end of the consultation, like, you know what? I think that a female practitioner is going to be the right person for you. You know, given what you're telling me. Or you know, somebody comes to me and although I'm pretty clear on my website, it turns out that they do want something that's, you know, more or different than, than what I offer. So having an in-person or a really good video call is the best way to tell whether this person is the right person for you. You'll never really know, though, until, you know, the hands go, go on. And, um, and that's why I consider a first session to be very much a evaluation experience. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm evaluating where this person is. They're evaluating what this work is and whether I'm the right person to be doing this work with. Yeah. So you offer uh, complimentary consultations, right? In, for people to get to know you before. Yeah. Awesome. And every practitioner I know does something similar. Yeah. You know, not everyone's willing to, to make it a, a one hour sit down and we're going to have tea. You know, some people has got to be a phone call or a video yeah. call and it's, you know, 15 minutes. And there, I have to say, especially, this is kind of sad to say, but there are many men who avail themselves of that consultation in order to um, have a little sexy phone call. And they're not really planning on, on getting any work at all. They're just trying to get a, a free phone sex call or just they're sort of excited by the idea of it, but they're not really going to go anywhere. So I understand women who want to keep that consultation, you know, fairly oh, well -bended. Yeah, they have had those. <laughs> like they just keep putting it on you and you're like... Oh, please, uh, he is the link of my site for you to go and fill out intensive uh, uh, intake form before you even get on the phone with me. So I personally, for anybody who decides to work with me, I personally don't get on the phone with anybody before they get into my intake form, which helps yes. me to really know what are they about and how can I help them because I can just help with coaching or, or just coaching or just energy. And, and right. Then and that, that makes perfect sense. You know, I, I totally understand that. But I would still say in, in any of these situations, you know, there should be some opportunity for a person that basically interview, you know, the practitioner before yeah. they let the work begin. Yes, and that's what I, I feel like. I usually offer my, you know, after like a whole long intake form, I feel yeah. like people get really the sense of like I'm really there for them. And also yeah. after we get on the phone, it's like it's all about them just to see like how we can help. So really, really important 
Um, thank you for sharing all that. So I'm gonna read to you guys. Um, Diet has a version of it on his and his computer, but I'm gonna read it to you guys because um, during these um, interviews and these uh, conversations, uh, something came up which is very important. Um, so let me just read it to you guys. And uh, all right, so. Finally, this question are to bring awareness to practitioners and teachers of sexual healing, daikinis, training, and certification. Of the many trainings and certifications I have personally participated in, or I'm aware from other colleagues who have taken all the training from recognized sacred sexuality school, genital touch, massage, or diamorine is taught from the beginning of the certification training without proper pre-emotional and psychological preparation of the trainee. We find these certifications are offered to anyone without pre-qualifications and screening. We have witnessed re-traumatization, re-trauma, uh, happening because deep wounds or emotional triggers come up to the surface and these are not properly addressed and supported with practical tools during the training because of the lack of time. We have witnessed new practitioners start doing healing work with genitals from the beginning of their practice because that's how it was taught to them. And they, that's how also they experience sexual healing. <clears throat> While more, more experienced practitioners, like the one that we're interviewing, are, are continuing to discuss whether sexual touch may or may not be a part of it, um, of the sexual healing session. It is not something that is offered in the first session. It may take them over 10 sessions before they experience simple conscious touch in their body without genital touch. So the question that we have, and uh, Mattia is going to wrap it up with, is should these schools offer certifications involve genital touch, reevaluate their curriculum, and create pre-requirement for programs addressing emotional psychological concept and provide practical tools that can be offered in person or online before their certification training. Should these schools offer support to their new practitioners after their trainings, create continuing education program and provide resources for the students to keep a high level of professionalism and integrity in this field. Should schools create an accountability system to sustain the integrity of this practice? And finally, what can we as practitioners do to create the safest container of healing for our clients? Yeah. Um, so yes, uh, um, I think that so there's, there's a number, there's several schools and they have different approaches and they have different, um, uh, different ways of, of, of attempting to do some of, of the stuff that you've discussed here. Um, overall, I would say I don't know of any school that does this adequately at this time. Um, I know that um, Caroline Carrington is starting a school and it's very much her intention to be accomplishing these kinds of, of goals for her students. Um, I haven't heard, I don't know the details of it. I don't know how successful it's been, but um, I think that we're at a, at a, you know, sort of a generational cycle in the way that this, this work is. Despite the fact that Tantra is thousands of years old, this work is like 20 or 30 years old. You know, this is, this is not an ancient lineage of work that, that we're, we're working with here. This is applying the tools 
of a embodied system um, towards sexual healing and, and working with sexual energy for healing purposes. And it's it's sort of floundering and finding its way. It doesn't help that much of the work is illegal um, or of, of questionable legality, of gray area. This makes it a lot harder to establish anything like a formal, clear body to hold everybody accountable because, you know, everybody involved with something like that could get in trouble. Yeah. So, there's been a, you know, there's a lot of, when I've, where I've seen this in the schools that I have attended and in talking to practitioners who've been through other programs, there's a lot of sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge going on where um, a lot of the things that, you know, would, would get a teacher in legal liability for what their student might do mm-hmm. doesn't speak clearly. And that leaves a scenario in which students go out without clarity. Um, so this is a real problem. Um, so, yes, I think that educating um, sexual healers, regardless of the modality, I'd say the best, the best organization for this is sexological bodywork. Yeah. They're taking this most seriously, and they're yeah. taking the ethics of it, and they're taking the accountability most seriously. Yeah. But that modality is not really my modality. There's some things about their moment. I, I, the spiritual component is crucial for me, and you know, some of their boundaries don't work that well for me. So I don't think that's the end of the story, but I think they're, they are the first organization to take a, a credible step beyond the 60s, basically. Yeah. You know? and, um, and I think that there's more steps required. And, and you, your, your questions here, your, should schools do this? Yes, 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 and yes. Um, this, is, this is the kind of thing that um, sort of the next generation I would expect the next generation of schools to do. And I want to emphasize that I think the most important one is the accountability system. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, encouraging further education, um, uh, um, better preparation, you know, maybe some, some things around sort of verifying and validating a person's readiness for the work. That is currently done, maybe not in the best way, but that stuff is, you know, people are, are sort of progressing on that. But where most practitioners end up is, okay, you know, I've graduated, I've got my certificate, and um, and here I am, ready to do the work. And there's no um, uh, ongoing mentor-student yeah. relationship or accountability partner relationship or anything. And, you know, and that's true for me, except for the fact that my wife and I did all of the schooling together, and she is my accountability partner. Now, she's not a biased She's not an unbiased observer, but she's very helpful for um, asking the kinds of questions that I neglect to ask myself sometimes. Mm. And that has been invaluable for helping me avoid some some big mistakes or um, um, uh, keep myself from making um, uh, mistakes. I guess that's the same thing. Or um, you know, addressing areas where where I need to to redirect to course correct with um, with somebody. So that kind of accountability system is the most crucial part for me. Yeah. Taking yeah. this to the next level, and then we may discover there's more still after that. Who knows? Yeah. So I really appreciate your insight. And um, if anybody have any final questions before we wrap it up, just type them now, quick, before we let go, Matthias. So how can we find you for anybody who's interested in your work, where they can go and uh, create some kind of like um, yeah. book, a, you know, a consultation so with you? Me, 
You can find me at Matthias-Rose.com. And there was one other question that you had on the list you sent me that you didn't ask, which is where can clients find practitioners in general? Yes, thank you for reminding me that one. <laughs> and um, and there's not a great directory. The directory that um, that some people who are looking for sexological body work, the school has a directory. Um, for people who are looking for you know some of the more spiritual work, there's a organ. There's a website called SacredArrows.com. Yeah. And it's not complete or comprehensive, but it's got some possibilities. Yeah. And then the other thing that there is is that there is a network amongst practitioners. Oh, I know a lot of other practitioners. I know who's good in your town and who's maybe not so good. Yeah. So if you can find um, a practitioner somewhere in the world that looks um, trustworthy to you, it's worth reaching out to them and say, hey, you know, I can't come to Seattle, but do you know anybody in Miami? Mm -hmm. You know, I'll be like, well, I'm not sure, but let me let me let me check around. You know, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I find somebody great. Sometimes I don't. But that's a worth that's worth trying. Yes, it's still really, really important. And Sacred Errors is created by Betty. Uh, what her Betty. last name? Betty Martin. Martin. Betty Martin. Martin. Betty Martin, and she is actually um, the creator of uh, Conscious Touch, right? Like uh, she really has this amazing workshop about Conscious Touch. Uh, really fascinating yeah, her, stuff. Her, her, is um, the wheel of consent? Yes. Where we learn a different uh, different directions of touch, of experiencing touch consciously. It's a it's a powerful system that many people have taken up. And one day, I hope she publishes her damn book. I know. I'm thinking Melly how about it. <laughs> I'm like I'm waiting yeah. for it. Yeah. And she's also she's also involved with sexological body work as well. Yes. Yes. She's amazing. So you can go to secretarrows.com. Uh, yeah. She really. Uh, really, um, anybody who advertised there is, um, she really filter everyone. She just doesn't accept anyone. So she right. really had to, she really checked you out because I'm there. So she really checked you out. She just had yeah. to know who you are you, what are you there for? And then, and like your wording, like how you put your stuff there. So really, really a good, a good site to go. So repeat your, um, a website please for everybody to catch it at the last yeah, Matthias-Rose.com. Awesome. So it's your first name, dash, your last name, dot com. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Matthias, for joining us today. My pleasure, Lucia. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. And thank you for everyone uh, for showing, in, uh, showing up today. Thank you for all of you who have stayed all the time. All your comments, Melania, Sylvie, Todd, thank you all of you guys for sharing your insight. And here again, uh, we're going to have another amazing practitioner on Monday uh, in the afternoon, I believe 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, yeah, so we are still having these amazing conversations. I am in, I'm truly committed to bring amazing people that they are working with this uh, in this field from a level of integrity, honor, respect professionalism and creating I feel like this is going to be a great archive for a lot of people who want to know about what sexual healing is and from different perspective and like having more clarity so I'm really committed to bring more of these conversations and um, 
And yeah, I feel like all of us who are participating here today and the other days and other interviews are really a part of these movement where we are going to see uh, next generations of sexual healers a little bit more clear and the boundaries more set, the code of ethics. So I'm really, really excited <laughs> to be part of this, um, this movement. <laughs> so I'm really, really happy. So if you want to find out more about us, you can go to luciagabriola.com. That's my website. Or if you're in Florida, you can come to Nuna Holistic Retreat Center for Emotional and Sexual Healing. So check us out and we'll see you next time. Love you, everyone. Bye.